That thing won't shut up. Can't. It was weird when I rang it before, after the meditation, like the second time I hit it, it just hit this like high frequency. I don't know if I could do it again. Like an overtone. It didn't hit, like, you didn't get the low sound, it just went like ping. Anyway, it's an instrument, so, you know, I should learn how to play it. Um, so, I, I was. Uh, and I, I, I'm just going to read a little bit from uh, my workbook because I looked at this today and I thought, ah, it's weird. I don't often read uh, from my work, but um, just to, as a st- sort of starting point for discussing step six. Um, step six, which says we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And so in this book, I have a little chap, uh, paragraph that begins each step with the title, What's This Step About? Uh, step six, most obviously, is about intention. As I talked about in step three, intention comes before and informs action. In recovery circles, we talk about this as willingness, the true desire to do what is necessary to bring real change in our lives. This isn't as easy as it might sound. One teacher tells the story of being approached by someone after a meditation class who asked for help. The person described his problem, and the teacher made a recommendation. The person gave some excuses for why he couldn't do what the teacher suggested, so the teacher offered another suggestion. Again, he was rebuffed, so he offered a third solution. After being told once again that the student couldn't do what the teacher suggested, the teacher said, well, I guess you're not, just not ready to change. I like that story. Uh, rather than being responsible for like, well, I have to fix you, it's like, oh, well, okay, you know, this is what I have to offer. <coughs> Moving right along. Uh, I think we can all relate to this story because in principle, we'd all like to change. Or maybe it's more accurate to say, we want our lives to be different. But when it comes down to particulars, to what we actually would have to do, we balk. How many of us, at least initially, rejected the idea of going to 12-step meetings? I know I did, even though I wanted my life to change. I'm going to now sneeze, I think. Sorry. Okay, how many of us... At least initially rejected the idea of going to 12-step meetings. I know I did, even though I wanted my life to change. And the same is probably true of meditation. I know that many people say they want to start meditating, but it never seems to happen. So I'm looking at all of you. Our readiness, the strength of our intention, must be there before any significant change happens. The Buddha was very clear. No action occurs without intention. Joseph Goldstein tells a story about his early time in India. One day he went for a long walk, and on the way back he decided to test this idea that no action occurs without intention. He stopped walking and tried to see if he could start again without the intention to walk. For long minutes he stood still, watching his intention. 
Nothing happened. It's a typical Joseph Goldstein kind of thing if you ever practice with him or read him. He's very like, oh, what would happen if I didn't have an intention? Could I move? (laughs) Of course, most of the time we walk around and don't notice the intention behind it. But if we start to pay close attention, we'll see that it's always there behind every action. And this is the point that we need to pay close attention to our intention if we want to make wise choices in our lives. If we don't take care with intention, our habitual pleasure-seeking and ego-striving will dominate our actions. Those impulses are strong and can only be uprooted with effort. We must see them and not act on them. This is what step six is ultimately about, cultivating right intention. So, first of all, I'll just say that that's the opinion I had when I wrote this. (laughs) I mean, you know, I have to say something when I write something. And I I, I mean, I think you could make an argument that maybe step six isn't just about that. So, but uh, it's, it's important enough of a topic that, uh, that it's worth uh, exploring deeply. Um, so, you know, step six is one of those kind of interim steps in a way. It kind of seems like, do we need to have a step when we said we were ready to change? You know, and, and, uh, so this is kind of part of the this argument, and one of the things that's interesting about the steps that in various places the steps separate intention and action. And, and as I say, that's something the Buddha made really clear that there's, a, uh, there's this relationship between intention and action, and that if we don't see intention, we will never really change action. So, what the, the Buddha also he he said that intention is actually what's behind karma. So karma meaning the results of our actions. So that it really matters why we are doing something. You know, we can do an act that looks like an act of service, but it can actually be selfish, right? And that's going to bring about a different result from something that's truly altruistic. So this, this question of intention is kind of uh, behind uh, much, if not all, of the Buddhist teachings. And even some of the questions tonight about meditation you know, are a point to intention. Like, is my intention to control my mind? <laughs> or is, it, is my intention to grow more uh, aware of my mind? And those are two different intentions. You might do the same practice, right? You might still be just trying to follow the breath, but if your intention is to control your mind, it puts you in conflict with what's going on in your mind. Whereas if your intention is to just observe your mind, then there's no conflict. There's just observing and learning through that and letting go. So a couple different um, 
know, just reflections on, on this. Um, I, I, I would like to talk about what the Buddha said about right intention, but first I want to just talk about um, intention as it relates to recovery, um, since that's what we're primarily here for. Over the years, you know, as I've kind of assumed this role of, you know, a recovery guru or something silly, um, you know, uh, uh, people ask me, and people think I'm an expert on recovery. You know, I've never, uh, I have no uh, formal education around recovery. I'm not a drug and alcohol counselor. I'm not a psychologist. Everything I know, I learned from you guys. <laughs> From meetings and from sponsors and from uh, and from my own reflection. Um, nonetheless, people put questions to me that, you know, if you're being interviewed and somebody asks you a question, you feel like you have to give them an answer. So one of the questions that I've gotten repeatedly is, "What do you think is the key to recovery?" Um, and it is a really, really important question. And um, I guess uh, the thing is, because I get asked that question, I've thought about it a lot. <laughs> I might not have thought about it very much if, you know, I weren't a recovery guru. You know I'm making, the, I'm, I'm kidding about being here. I just want you to know, I don't want, sometimes people take me seriously. And I mean, <laughs> when I'm not serious, and uh, it gets me into trouble or it gets Trouble arises, let's just say, <laughs> whether it's me or them. Or... So, I've, you know, I started thinking about that years ago when I, when I was first asked that question. And I thought, well, I don't think the 12 steps themselves are the key to recovery because I've seen a lot of people, like, do the steps and still relapse. You know, and then, of course, then, you know, there'll be an argument, well, they weren't doing them right. Or they weren't doing them fully, or they weren't doing them the way I do them, or whatever. So there can be this kind of fundamentalist view about the steps. Well, if you do the steps you, you know, properly, you know you can't you, you can't relapse. So I don't believe that. It might be true, but I don't believe it. Um, you know, and so then there might be like, well, I think God is the you know is the answer for recovery or whatever. You know, people have sort of different views. I, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, if you, if you don't do step four, you're going to relapse. Or if you don't do step nine, you're going to relapse. So I, I don't really believe that there's like a magical thing you can do that protects you. And, and I think that's a, another kind of human habit is that we want to find that one thing that's going to protect me. If I say this, these special words, you know, if I, um, you know, uh, do this, um, write this thing or uh, whatever, go through some certain process, then I'm going to be fixed. You know, if I meditate a certain amount of time, then I'm, everything's going to be okay. And, and, and you know, all of those outward things are only 
really as effective as the, the intention behind them. So finally, what I've come to is that the key to recovery is the strength of your intention. And that, of course, harmonizes with the, what the Buddha teaches. Um, but it also, there's a phrase in, uh, that I've heard in the 12-step world that resonates with that too, which is the people who make it, I mean, the people who don't, you know, who, who make it in recovery, people who make it are the ones who want it, not the ones who need it. So wanting is a form of intention. Right? It's an expression of intention. Uh, and so uh, I think it's the same thing, that we have to really want recovery. Uh, it's not a You know, some people hit horrible bottoms and still can't kind of get into recovery. And other people, like, they have one too many glasses of champagne, and they're like, eh, I really must stop, you know. Uh, um, and they get it, you know. They figure it. So... So then the question becomes, well, how to, if you're trying to help someone else, because a lot of times this question comes from someone who's trying to help someone else, how do I help my child or my partner? Um, then you want, well, how can I get someone else to want something, right? How do I make them want it? And, and I think that, you know, when we look at just how the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, how they approached trying to help people. I'm sure many of you have read about how Bill and Bob would go and visit, uh, what would they call them, one of their prospects, I think they would call them, uh, when they were hungover. Right? They would say, don't try to talk to your prospect when he's in his cups, when he's drunk, because at that point he's, not, he's like, why should I stop drinking? It's great. I love it. You know, so... So then they show up the next day, and, you know, or the guys in the hospital or something. And I say guys because in the early days it was guys they were dealing with. So I'm not being accidentally sexist. So, so what they were trying to do was hit them at a moment when they would be motivated, when they would be able, they would want recovery, right? And and go in and say, you know. This is really bad, right? Yeah, this really sucks. Wouldn't it be nice to get recovery? Yeah, how can I do that? Oh, we have this program. Oh, okay, I want that. Right? They want it in that moment, so they would be motivated. You know, the only um, process I know about that kind of works on this principle in, in, a, in a clinical world is called motivational interviewing. Uh, and it kind of is what it sounds like, where you try to kind of you talk to someone and you keep asking them questions to try to kind of guide them to their own decision, their, their own clarity about what they want. So, um, I, I know, you know, for my own recovery, and, and I, I, I just want to clarify that when I talk about my, my purpose in talking about my own experience is that, first of all, that's what we do in the recovery world. And secondly, the one thing I know is my own experience. And I know it's not always going to be relevant for people, but it's the, 
you know, it's the, it's the one thing that I know I can speak about truly and not just be theorizing. So just it's not because I just want to talk about myself, although, you know, there might be a little bit of that in there. But So forgive me if that gets whatever. I, I got to... I'm saying this because somebody's, you know, sent me an unpleasant email about my. You know, I'm not not that I'm ever affected by someone criticizing me, but um, <laughs> just trying to be, you know, conscious of that. Um, but I know, like, there was this, there was this wanting that arose for me, you know, that I really wanted. I wanted, uh, as we say, I wanted what people have in recovery. And um, so I guess I've had a strong intention. Um, so let me then talk a little bit about how the Buddha talks about right intention, because this is uh, another piece for me that's really important, because it's another, you know, you look at the Buddhist teachings. And many of them are somewhat cryptic. You kind of they kind of say right view. You should have right view, and you're like, what, "What does that mean? Do I have to get new glasses? Like, am I supposed to be on top of the hill so I get a different view? Like, what's the view?" And then, so you're supposed to have right view, which is sort of understanding how things work, in sort of a spiritual way, in a sense, I guess. But then you're supposed to have right intention. Okay, well, what you know, and that sounds good. Oh yeah, I want to have right intention. I, I have a I have a good intention, I think. Like what? What is it? So uh, the Buddha is pretty specific, uh, and as as is typical, there there's a little list. Uh, in this case, the three elements to right intention. So what the Buddha said is that every action should be informed by one of these three things. And if it's not, then it's not, you're not acting with right intention. Uh, so we can talk about what that might mean. But I'll first tell you what the three are. In the, in the language of the, of the suttas, which is somewhat uh, technical and dense, uh, and I'll, I'll try to elaborate, but I'll give you the the way it says it in the suttas. The three forms of right intention are the intention of renunciation, renunciation, the intention of non-harming, and the intention of non-ill will. So those last two sound like they're the same thing, non-harming and non-ill will. So it turns out that here the Buddha is using this negative language, as he often does, and what it's re- actually referring to is loving kindness and compassion. So we're supposed to... And so um, let's go back to renunciation. So renunciation is not a term that's really popular in our culture. <laughs> it kind of sounds like you have to give up all the fun stuff. So the term that we usually use is just letting go, non-attachment, non-clinging. And if we look at that in terms of recovery, of course, recovery starts with renunciation. (laughs) 
you renounce a certain behavior, whether it's drinking or using or acting out sexually or gambling or eating in certain ways. You know, we renounce a certain behaviors. And, and if anybody knows about the power of that kind of letting go, it's us. <laughs> the transformative power of letting go. It's not theoretical for people in recovery. So we know, like, you know, letting go or renunciation is really freeing. It's one one of the reasons why people don't just stop with their drug of choice. (coughs) Often people, you know, give up, give that up, and then they're like, oh, you know, the smoking thing is kind of gross. I think I'll stop that. Uh, or the way I eat isn't very healthy, or the, my relationships, I need to work on that. And we start to let go of a lot of things, a lot of negative behaviors. You know, recovery isn't just you know, abstinence from one behavior. Well, loving kindness then is the antidote or the opposite of resentment. Right? which also is something it says in the 12-step literature is the number one killer. So I think that's pretty relevant for us too, having the intention to not stay in our resentments. Compassion is caring about other people's suffering, which is what step 12 is about. Having had a spiritual awakening, we tried to carry the message to others who are suffering with the same disease. So the intentions that the Buddha calls right intention, and when it comes down to it, are really the foundations of recovery. Letting go of you know, attachment to destructive behaviors, destructive substances. Letting go of anger, cultivating an attitude of loving kindness, and being of service and caring for others. This is uh, right intention. So in a way, if, if I'm going to claim that step six, we were entirely ready, means that we've really aligned our intention. We're really trying to set our intention because the way I understand step seven, since I don't believe in an intervening power, that acts sort of independently at my request. That doesn't even really make sense, but I just ask for, you know, God, would you please fix me? Since I don't believe that it works like that, I believe that this is a karmic process. That is, it is a process of cause and effect. Then, because the root of that effect, the root of those, that cause and effect process is intention. I have to get clarity around my intention. Or things are never going to change the way I want them to. We, st- we still wind up with this same situation that we talked about with meditation, which is I come to it with this intention, and then I try to act on those intentions, and then I don't get to control what happens. The principle of right intention is that if I act skillfully, the results will be beneficial, but they will not necessarily be ones that I 
you know, put down in my list of requests to God. You know, this is what I want to happen from what I do. That's not how cause and effect works. It's not how karma works. It's not how the steps work. So there's letting go at the beginning of the process, and there's letting go at the end. So there's probably letting go in the middle as well, but I can't think of what that is, but uh, you just have to kind of assume that that's there. Um, so it's, you know, this is, like, this is uh, why mindfulness is so important. Because how are you going to know what your intention is if you aren't aware? Right? And, and again, this is, this is the kind of stuff we're actually trying to train ourselves in meditation. It, it's unfortunate that even the word meditation has this uh, implied meaning in our culture and in our language that we're supposed to stop thinking. It's not, it's not a helpful way of thinking about it because we don't... Uh, what we want to do is be aware of our thinking. You're never going to stop your thinking. Yeah, your thinking will stop right around the time when, you, when your breathing stops. You know. <laughs> Presumably, although I've never, I can't recall if uh, any other circumstances. So because, uh, doing a daily practice of, and cultivating this habit of watching my mind is what really allows for transformation in my life, for things to change in my life. That, oh, wow, what is my impulse? Okay, Because impulse is an expression of intention, right? It's, it is intention. Like, what do, I want this. Oh, wait, is that renunciation? Is that letting go? Is that compassion? Is that loving? No, that's greed. No, that's self-centeredness. Oh, right, so we have to see that. We ha- and we can only be aware of it in the moment. I mean, we can be a mom- aware of it in retrospect, and usually that's what happens. Oh, no wonder that didn't work out. That was a self-centered desire, right? That was a self-centered action. That's, where we- that's one way that we learn. But if we're going to you know, actually make changes in real time, we have to be aware in the moment. And you know, so one of the things people do in their daily practice is they set an intention, Yeah very common thing in the recovery world, too, uh, at the end of your meditation. Today, okay, I know that I'm going to go to work and I'm going to be in these, some of these situations. I'm going to go in there with an attempt to be not in conflict. I'm going to try to have non-ill will, non-harming. I'm going to try not to uh, cling to my own ideas of how things should be. I'm going to try to let go. So we kind of set those intentions. Then when we slip, you know, then we can, oh, there, oh. Let me come back to my intention, right? Because right intention is also about keep coming back. Keep coming back to your intention. And just like in meditation, your mind wanders, you catch it, you come back, right? I do something stupid or I get angry, I catch that and I come back. I make an amends or I just start again. This is, uh, you know, it's progress, not perfection. So uh, this, is, this is how, and this is kind of a good example, I think, of how uh, Buddhist teachings and 12-step and work uh, can work together, can blend together. Um, the, there's a kind of 
um, I think, a, an imperative in recovery that isn't always there for people who casually come into Spirit Rock to like hear a Dharma talk and like meditate a little bit and feel spiritual. You know, in recovery, we know there's a life and death issue, and even if we're not, even if we're not uh, feeling that threatened in terms of life or death, it's it's a hugely uh, impactful. Uh, whether we get this or not, whether we maintain this or not. Our, the way our lives unfold is going to be deeply affected by our ability to maintain our recovery, our sobriety, our being clean. So that's, that's one of the things that I really like about <laughs> the recovery and the 12 steps and whatever recovery program you use, that it's really important. The stakes are very high. Uh, it's uh, again like you can kind of read Buddhism and it can kind of seem, oh yeah, that's beautiful. Like I really want to love everybody. You know, that's right intention. But when you see like, wow, when I get pissed off and start raging, like I want to drink. Like that's like, okay, that's not just like trying to be a goody goody. You know, that's like really important. And. So on the one hand, the 12 steps and our, our addiction uh, makes the stakes very high. I think the Dharma and the way the Buddha talks about the mind and about how things work really clarifies the, what's going on in the recovery process and gives us some real tools that, that build on the basic principles of recovery and the, and the steps. And the idea like, Oh, like if I'm more mindful, then I can watch my intention. And that's going to really help me to stay in recovery to, and follow these three aspects of uh, right intention to let go, to be kind, to not be resentful, to be caring and, and do service. Wow, that, that really helps me to like understand what my program is. I think the you know, the, the steps at times can be pretty uh, abstract. You know, the idea of uh, work the steps, there's a lot of different understandings of what that means. Um, and, uh, and you can kind of get lost in it. Like, am I working the steps? What work, step am I working? So uh, I really think the Dharma gives us some, some ways in that uh, clarify. Certainly, that's how I see it. And I'm a recovery guru, so I should know. <laughs> so uh, a few minutes left. Um, if, if people want to comment or ask questions. Oh, good. Right over here. Well, Kevin, thank you. Uh, this is what I'm working on right now uh-huh. and exactly what I needed to hear is which is anytime I walk into these rooms I probably need to hear everything so it always <laughs> feels like well yeah. that's just what I needed to hear tonight because well I needed to hear everything yeah. I, but tonight in particular um, so I've always had a problem with this step uh, well I, what step did I have <laughs> with? but in this way in particular um this idea that entirely ready 
to have God remove, swooping down from above, removing my defects of character. And and first of all, just to call it defects of character, and that this is something I, quote, have to work on in the steps, working on. So suddenly tomorrow I'm not going to have these defects of character. In my Buddhist practice, it just felt like there was this separation between this step and the acceptance in my practice of just being with and accepting my whatever, let's call it defective character. Um, so to attack it that way, like, or come on, God, help me attack this, or yeah. praying to God to remove these defects of character. You know, I just always had a problem with that. And I think my Buddhist practice, and actually coming here and listening to you, has helped me a a great deal with that, I I have to say. And I'm grateful for that. Because once I stopped this business of looking at these, let's call them tendencies that I have, um, whether it's um, my relationship to fear... um, in chasing away and getting away from whatever I'm fearful of by trying to control or do those are my defects quote my defects of character but once I just sat with my um, fear and accepted that um, then it's remarkable the loving kindness I felt toward myself Mm. And being able to accept that, and then the right action, whether it was trying to do the um, uh, social justice, like to, to, to do this so quote this social justice without having compassion and loving kindness, I would invariably mess up yeah. because I would be I would be tribal like uh, uh, us versus them. And I was never happy, and I was never very successful at it. So um, I really, again, I really appreciate this is what I needed to hear, this acceptance of just being with this in my, in my meditation practice, in my Buddhist practice, helped me with this idea of these so-called character defects. Mm-hmm. When I learned to live with them and accept them, then somehow they did start to be less important to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. of course. So, um, I, I want to say a couple things. One is, I don't want to suggest that someone shouldn't pray or believe that God's going to remove their character defects. That, you know, whatever works for people, I try to honor. So, I... I um, but, yeah, for me, step six and seven are the ones where it really gets sticky. And, and my question was always, well, how is this supposed to work? And, um, and so I have felt like these steps particularly needed a lot of translation. For, um, and, and, yeah, p- part of it is with the idea of God. And part of it is just the language of the character defects. And, you know, and I kind of go around and go, yeah, I don't like that idea of like, character defects. But 
honestly, they're, it's, the words are pointing at something that I know needs to be addressed. It's just I don't particularly care for them, so I'm not going to take them on in that language. But, but don't let me pretend that there aren't things about me that could benefit from <laughs> some change or from being removed. You know? So there's, I kind of try to keep that balance, that humility that's, that's also like, okay, the words don't work so well for me, but the idea, let me not pretend that the idea isn't relevant. Um, but, and, you know, this idea of God, though, I, th- I think, I mean, this is why, you know, I spent an entire book trying to <laughs> sort of capture how I understood God as, as, an asp- as Dharma, but um, because the law of karma to me is this sort of central expression of how I understand God, you know, that there's this process of cause and effect that I don't control, you know, and that, that I can't escape, I can't get around it, I can't cheat it. It's just like, there's my intention, there's my action, there's going to be results, you know? And no matter, I can't, like, do what I want to do and be driven by my own self-centeredness and get the good results that I'm after, you know? So that's a power greater than me, if that you know, if that makes sense. I mean, I think it makes sense because it's, it's, it's not me, uh, and uh, and you know that doesn't have the sort of simple uh, sort of mechanics of I asked God, God did it. You know, it's it's much more subtle and complicated in a way to kind of understand. And yet, this is the way most people operate in life. Most people understand that, well, most people. I'll say, let's say that people who are realistic and mature, when something happens in their life, they usually kind of understand, oh yeah, I was, I participated in that. You know, I'm I could have done better. And, and yeah, there's lots of things that happen that are outside of my karma. And this is the other thing that's complicated about karma, and there's a lot that's complicated about karma, but another thing that's complicated about karma, that my, my life, my intentions and my actions and the results of those intentions and actions don't happen in a vacuum. There's other people's intentions and actions there's, uh, you know, the founders of this country whose actions are affecting me today. You know, the, the karma is very complicated. It's, it operates on an individual level. It happens on a familial level. So you're affected by the karma of your family. Then there's this cultural, national level. There's a, maybe a species level, too. So, so um, there's a lot that I'm powerless over in that process. And uh, and so we're put again into this position where we have to do our best, but we're not really in control of the show. And, and you know, and there's a tendency to be, well, I'm not. If I'm not controlling it, why bother? It's like, well, yeah. If you don't participate, it's like you didn't vote, so you don't really get to complain about the results. Sort of, uh, if you don't take action in your own life. Uh, then you're completely at the whim of things you're powerless over. So it really, to me, it's like um, I have a certain amount of power. You know? 
it's limited. Uh, you know, and again, I think, uh, I don't know if it's an addict thing, but, you know, there's part of me that's like, well, I wish that I was either really in control or I didn't forget it. I'm, I'm not taking any responsibility. It's like, no, I have to, like, do my best, and then I have to, like, n- not get to control the, the results of that. How frustrating is that, you know? Uh, well, that that's <laughs> the end of our time. So let's let's just sit and we'll we'll uh, dedicate the merit. So even as we come here on a Friday night for ourselves as individuals. It's actually a benefit to the world when we work on ourselves and heal ourselves. We're helping to heal the world. It's an act of compassion for the world. In the Buddhist tradition, we dedicate the merit to relieve all beings of suffering. In the 12-step world, we carry the message of our spiritual awakening. So may our work together tonight, our practice and our reflections, be of benefit to all beings. May all beings be free of the suffering of addiction. I will let you know that I will not be here next month. And this will be two out of three months I miss, unfortunately. The good news, though, if you didn't like what you heard tonight, there will be someone else <laughs> teaching next month. You should come back for them. That will be Walt again, who was here last month. So um, I will be back in August. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.